a trip to the lake as a small boy and standing on this big platform on the docks made for jumping into the water. And the distance between me and the water seemed like I was looking down at astronauts in space. And my family even told me, because I was quite young, that that they never thought I would actually jump. Uh, But despite my terror, I I leaped into the water. Uh, And once I did, though, the first time, I found it free and enjoyed it and went back repeatedly. And today, I'm really hoping and praying that you would find a similar experience in deep repentance. It is one of the scariest things in the world, I think, to to face our sin and admit, uh, sometimes even in the face of others, that we have sinned. And just because, though, it be initially scary does not mean that it shouldn't be done. Scripture is clear that we need to hate our sin. And I pray that we might be people who who do hate our sin so passionately that, that we actually quit caring about saving face and start caring about seeking out sin in our hearts to destroy it as thoroughly as we are able this side of heaven. So what is repentance? Well, Westminster Shorter Catechism 87 says, Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of endeavor after new obedience. So let's let's sum that up more succinctly. Uh, repentance includes two things: putting sin to death and bringing godliness to life. M- Martin Luther, who famous, famously started the Protestant Reformation, expressed well the ongoing need for repentance, writing, "When the Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, "Repent." He meant that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. Repentance is a a permanent, essential, and prominent aspect of what it means to live the Christian life. So the main point is that we need a deeper sense of real, thorough, and obvious repentance. We need a deeper sense of real, thorough, and obvious repentance. We'll consider this in three points, the description, the difficulties, and the doing. So first, the description. So I want to think, even though we've got the shorter catechism definition in front of us, I want to think a bit more about what repentance is. So people sometimes assume, I think, that, that repentance means just feeling bad. That in some ways may be part of repentance, but it's certainly not a thorough understanding of it. The Apostle Paul made this point very clear in our text Today, 2 Corinthians 7. So read verse 8. Keep your Bible open. 
uh, as you're used to doing. Verses 8 and 9, though. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. So Paul previously wrote uh, to this congregation, and he said, uh, that's why we have 1 Corinthians, and here we read in 2 Corinthians, and he said in verse 8 that his previous letter had grieved them. So, so he was sorry in one way that they had been grieved, but in another sense, he was very glad that they'd been grieved because it produced repentance. And so the, the point is, Paul saw a difference between grieving, feeling bad, and repenting. F- feeling bad does not exhaust repentance. Paul said that the Corinthians were grieved into repenting, which means that repentance is something further, something deeper than feeling bad. Paul says repentance does contain, does contain a godly grief, which the previous letter caused. Even that godly grief, though, is not simply feeling bad. If, if we read Verse 10, we see that. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief is distinct from worldly grief. So, okay, this is kind of like, I I think, the, the best way to illustrate it is, this is kind of like those conversations between parents and children who have been made to apologize. Christ are you really sorry or are you just sorry you got in trouble? And that problem fills, it's not a children's problem. It fills our world. People do not regret their promiscuity, but regret that they got diseases or regret that they now have to care for a child for whom they had not planned. People are not sorry that they actually stole from others and even ruined lives by swindling retirement funds and investments, but are sorry they got jail time for it. So people may feel bad about what they did because they regret the consequences, but that does not mean that they despise the heinousness of their actions because they have wronged God and other people. Scripture tells us, though, that that when God works repentance in his people, it is not superficial but deep and extends to hating their own sinfulness. It's not just, I'm sorry I got in trouble. It's, I'm sorry for what I've done. We read in Ezekiel 36 Uh, 26 and 27 about God's renewing work and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then the next verse is just name specific effects of, of renewal. And verse 31 states for us that you will remember. So this is particularly relevant for what we're discussing. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. God will work in those whom, who belong to him, not simply a regret for doing bad things, but will work in his people so that they despise and hate their sinfulness and learn to love righteousness. He will work in us so that we are eager to work against the ungodliness that lies within us. So the, the description is that repentance is deep and real hatred of sin and hunger for holiness. And that brings us to our second point, the difficulties. So the last point looked at how we need to get past feeling bad to hating our sin and wanting it gone. Uh, and now we can need to consider some things that prevent that, that get in our way as we endeavor after that. Primarily, we're going to think about two things, externalizing and excusing our own sin. So first, externalizing sin. Okay, so here's the, here's the thing I, I want to go after here. Christians often, we get really good at uh, talking about how sinful the culture out there is. But we might neglect lamenting how sinful we are personally. Cultures are not abstract forces that sin, which means cultures as such can't really repent. Cultures comprise people, and cultures are sinful when people are sinful. Obviously, cultures are in rebellion against God, but we profit more from searching out and eradicating our sin than from droning on about how bad they are out there. Moaning about the culture is, is one way that we teach ourselves to externalize sin. It's, it's them. It's the others who are actually sinful. And it, the thing is, it's not that we don't address those issues, but we gain far more ground by being a repentant people than by calling others who don't have God's Spirit to repent. After all, Scripture tells us that judgment will start with God's own house. 1 Peter 4.17 Note that's in the New Testament. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? We should then be tending most to our own affairs. 
dealing with our own significant personal wickedness. I, I should quit worrying so much about how bad they are and start worrying about how bad I am. Second, excusing sin. Christians readily admit to our, yeah, to our credit that we are generally sinful and imperfect. We're fine with that, typically. But we flinch at, at talking about how I am specifically a sinner in these ways. We, we like to keep sinfulness at arm's length away from what I've actually done. One contemporary way is sort of increasing that, that we do this is, is talking about brokenness. Now, if we mean that we are broken, as in a being contrite, because we see that we are sinners, great. No issues then. Often, though, we'll talk about brokenness, and we mean general problems of the world. I'm, I'm broken and, and struggling against the, the things that happen to me because the world is broken. And we have to reckon with how we are more than broken. We are sinners. Sin does not happen to us, at least ours. Our sin does not happen to us. We commit it. I know, I know, okay, I know that there is brokenness and that this is a fallen world and that there are so many cases that require pastoral sensitivity. I'm not taking away that category entirely. But we cannot use it to, to get rid of the fact that we need to own, own our own sin and not excuse it as some feature of the imperfect world. So, I, in my family, one of the standard tactics in argument uh, is that someone will say, well, I guess I'm just a terrible person then. It's supposed to be the trump card uh, to get the other person to say, no, 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 it's fine now. Don't, don't feel bad. Uh, I, as it won't be surprising to some of you, have become frustrating though, because I tend to say, well, yes, uh, but I am too. And so we still need to resolve this. <laughs> that doesn't get it. So it's not what they want to hear, but it's the truth. We need to, and we need to reckon more. The point of that is that we need to reckon more with how we actually are awful people. And we shouldn't shy away from it. I'm, I'm not respectable. I'm pretty wretched. And I'm speaking personally. And we should get more accustomed to knowing that. We are deeply sinful. We should admit that 
more starkly. So the difficulties are how we try to avoid how sinful we are. That brings us to our last point, the doing. So we saw that repentance is a is a deep hatred for sin and, and a hunger for righteousness. And we saw that we create barriers to, to soften our need to repent in a really serious and specific manner. And now I want to look at some practical things to help us repent. A whole point on application I know is not my usual approach, but I'm going to give it a try. So the most practical application to open is we need to repent vigorously of all the sins we do and find in our lives. We need to pray more often in repentance before God, and we need to repent even sometimes to other people. The response is, God can deal with my sin. James five sixteen explicitly says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. God has plainly said, I'm not talking about running out and telling everything you've ever done to everybody you ever meet. But God has plainly said in the church that we are supposed to admit our sins to each other. God commanded it. We should do it. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't matter. God said it's good for us. So, three practical ways that we can try to learn to do this. And I'm going to be really honest. I really wrestled with the best way to do this because I know that there are people, uh, whether they're here or not, who could hear this that have really tender consciences and will leave, and could leave feeling, you know, burdened. And I know that there are stubborn consciences that will use the fact that we should have mutual repentance that I'm going to talk about as an excuse not to repent. I haven't heard it from you, so I'm not going to do it. So I don't know the best way to come at this. So I'm trying to preface it so that you know, here's what I'm talking about. I, I'm, these applications apply to everyday life, everyday situations for Christians who are living within the fence of how we should be. So I'm talking about when, when you get in an argument about who should have done the dishes or the laundry or, or you, that sort of thing. When you fight with your brothers and sisters, when you get, or your husband or wife or your children, your parents, you get angry and bothered. The everyday sort of stuff. There's a different set of principles. You, you don't get to use this if, if it's an actionable offense. If your pastors have to show up to talk to you about I don't, I mean, the two big objections are gonna be abuse and adultery. These don't apply to that, okay? So I'm trying to be really clear, but I think that this is, is helpful stuff for people who are dealing with typical and ordinary sinfulness. So the first thing, don't explain away your sin, okay? Our culture thinks that there is a reason for everything we do. 
which means most people think that having an explanation for our actions makes them all right. And that's not how Christians should be. We should be people characterized by humility. And make no mistake, a repentant life requires an immense amount of humility. So the first application is not to explain away your wrongdoings. When someone tells you that you have wronged them, you just respond, I'm sorry. Full stop. No self-protection verbally, no explanation, just an apology. When someone points out that you might need to adjust a specific feature of your life, what if you actually considered it? And talk through it. We, we drift naturally towards blaming other people and blaming external factors for our failures. And Christians should at least consider that if someone accuses us of needing growth, it could be right. You can talk about it. Maybe it's not. But what if we considered that it could be? And we should, here's the thing behind that. We should hate sin enough that we want to know if they are right so that we can kill sin. We should want to be better in all things. So let's not explain away our sin. Let's quit trying to make it better. Let's quit pretending that it's not that bad because you had a reason. I mean, this kind of thing will humble you, but it will impact significantly the people who hear you. It takes real courage not to defend ourselves. But we need to realize more and more that all of us, in an ultimate perspective, are indefensible people when it comes to everyday wrongs. Second application, lead with repentance. So, on the flip side of things, sometimes we are the ones with grievances against others how do we maintain a robust lifestyle repentance when we feel like we supposedly have the upper hand so there was a guy who who mentored me in in university named matt francisco and he had a tremendous uh, effect on my life and ministry ever since and and he always told me lead with repentance and his point was that when you have something against someone and we know the categories where I'm talking about again, when you have something against someone, don't confront them about what they've done wrong until you're ready to state your sin as the first thing you say. So Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your, offer your gift. Now, this is about a case where somebody has something against you. I get that. But the clear point, certainly, that is that we should be quick to be reconciled. That is the point. We should rush to remove every offense. Mark eleven twenty five discusses a, a similar situation, though. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone 
so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. The emphasis there is on your need to forgive them. And we might jump here to Ephesians. You can tell what things I think are going to be controversial depending on how much scripture I pack into things. We could jump here to Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul commanded Christians to forgive each other. Note, this is the way he said to do it, as God in Christ forgave you. God forgives you, Christian, by looking at Christ's sacrifice on the cross as as having satisfied any justice owed for the wrongdoing against him. And this verse calls us to that as well. We forgive others by looking to Christ's cross, where even there, for people who are believers, any wrong that has done to us by other Christians has been punished and forgiven. We should remember, too, all our sins as well were the reason that Christ died. And so to draw the, the biblical material together here, we, we ought to be quick to reconcile and quick to forgive. Uh, instead of, of being quick to be angry, we should long for renewed relationship. And so we can make a practice of confessing our sin in a matter first. In, in 98% of everyday occurrences where people get in disagreements and arguments and so forth, both people have done wrong. Even if by being overly mad at the other, if you're fuming, wishing your brother or sister would just get hit by a car because they, they didn't do the laundry when they were supposed to, you've sinned even though they didn't do what they were supposed to. So confess that and don't say a word about the other person's wrongs until you have repented of that to them. This is good to make us repentant, but it's also really practical. So think about it. If you open in a conversation about a difficult matter and your grievance with with a statement I have to confess that that I've grown bitter towards you, and I know I need your forgiveness for that, and so I'm really sorry, but I was really hurt when you did whatever. I mean, if that person responds with, yeah, but you were wrong to... You've already addressed that. You've already handled it. Yeah, yeah, I, I repented. I know I'm sinful, and I'm trying to reconcile. You've already handled it. Leading with repentance short-circuits accusation. You've already admitted that you're wrong. Arguments can't back off the ground, so we lead with repentance. The last thing, remind yourself. Okay, so... Come up with some really ordinary, practical way to remind yourself that you are in constant need of forgiveness. My wife 
laughs at me because of my sort of fascination with these sorts of things. But, but mine has to do with the question, how are you? Okay, because in Mark 10, the rich young ruler addressed Jesus as good teacher, and Jesus responded in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So, when somebody asks me how I am, I'm making a point not to say good. I'm not good. You're not good. We might be doing well, but we're not good. So every time somebody asks me how I am, I'm reminded that I need forgiveness and I need to repent because I'm not good. So I'm not saying you've got to use that one, but find a way like that to remind yourself regularly that you need forgiveness so that you stay repentant. The doing is making commitment to practices that drive us to repentance. But even though this can be so uncomfortable for us, we should remember that there is something very beautiful in repenting, which is grounded in the gospel. Every time we want to make ourselves feel like we're not that bad, we should remember that Jesus died only for terrible people. Just did not die for those who are well, but for those who are dead to bring them back to life. Repentance sets us free because, I mean, it casts us into the arms of Christ, Christ who receives and renews contrite sinners. So this, that, that is how repentance leads to salvation, 2 Corinthians 7.10, by pushing us continually to Christ's mercy. God will oppose the proud, but Jesus Christ has died for those who come to him for forgiveness. So let us throw ourselves in faith on this Savior who bought sinners and gives them eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we often encounter difficult things in your word. We, we find things that remind us the reasons we need salvation, uh, and they are uncomfortable. Uh, but we pray that we would look past that to the fact that there is much joy in repenting because we know that there is exaltation and celebration in heaven over the one sinner who repents. And so we pray that we would be those sinners who live a life of repentance, who are on our knees in humility, ready to admit our wrongs when we have done wrong, who don't stand up for ourselves before we consider what if there are ways that we can be better? What if there are ways we could pursue deeper godliness? And we do that. We are, we are enabled to do that. Not because we want to feel bad, but because we know that Jesus Christ has set us free and rescued us. There's no reason to make a defense. Christ stands to defend us. Help us rejoice in that glorious truth that we have an advocate 
for sinful people who need forgiveness when we go to him in faith. So help us throw ourselves in trust on Christ for mercy and help us pursue by the strength of your spirit new godliness. We pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.